I'll give everybody a chance to catch up on that one. Good morning. Hey, it is a good morning. Every day, every day is a day that the Lord has made, isn't it? Pretty awesome. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest Church, and I love meeting new people. If I haven't met you yet, you could do me a huge favor, and just uh, when you see me in the entryway at the foyer there, just come up and introduce yourself to me. I'd love to meet you, hear a bit of your story, where you're from, what brought you here, um, just all sorts of... I just love meeting new people. So if you, if you haven't met me yet, please make it a... a if you do me the favor of uh, introducing yourself to me, I'd really, really appreciate it. We're um, in week two of a series of teaching we're entitled, entitled Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles. Daring Faith. So what is daring faith and what are miracles? Well, let's, let me just talk about uh, daring faith. Um, Colossians 2.7 says this, Let your roots grow down into him, that's Jesus, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So I'm just going to tell you three quick things about what daring faith could be for you, what this journey, this adventure could be for you. First, it's we're challenged by Scripture to grow in faith. Let your roots grow, grow down into him so that your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. So daring faith is a challenge to grow in faith. Here's another verse. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, in this context, sow is, means plant, basically. Um, so it's like a, an agricultural metaphor, planting seed in your, in your life. And uh, so daring faith for you could be a challenge to grow in faith, but also to sow in faith. And sowing and reaping is a biblical uh, concept. Um, it's a biblical um, principle that whatever you sow, you will reap. And you tend to, when it comes to uh, seeds and how they work, is you tend to get back more than you initially sowed. So that's true for wheat. It's also true for dandelions. So you would probably want to sow good things in your life so that you can reap good things later on. So daring faith is a challenge to grow in faith, to sow in faith, and it's also a challenge to go in faith. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That's quite a thing. I mean, Abraham was up in years. You could say he was in the retirement phase of life. And just about that time when he was about to hang it up and settle down, God said, I want you to go. I want you to start a brand new adventure in trusting me. And I'm going to lead you into some amazing things that you can't even conceive of, that you, you haven't even begun to imagine for your life. Get ready for the greatest journey of your life. And I think when we live by faith... It involves risk. I mean, you know, we often say there's no reward without risk. 
If you're going to have the reward, you gotta, you got to risk. And I think in the life of faith, in the life of following Jesus, God has called us on an adventure. He's not just called us to live the most comfortable life or to live the easiest life, but he's called us to live a life of going and sowing, and we said at the beginning, growing in faith. So what is faith? Let's talk about faith. Faith is, last week we talked, said faith is seeing from God's point of view. Now, there's lots of definitions we could give to faith and lots of facets of faith, but let me give you a few verses that talk about faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you're a person that wants to please God, you cannot do it without believing in him, without seeing things from his perspective, without trusting in who he is and what he's done for us, and without looking forward in anticipation to what he can do with our lives. Romans 14.23 says, um, everything that does not come from faith is sin. My friend Brian pointed this verse out to me this week, and I thought, oh, i got to include that one on Sunday. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. We are, when we are not living by faith, we are going to get ourselves into things that are, when we're living by disbelief and doubt, we're not reckoning God into the equation of our lives. We're going to get ourselves into sin. And this, this is, it says it even stronger. It's basically saying that we were meant to live our lives by faith. Anticipation and trust in what God can do. And then if we don't live our lives that way, we will live a very sinful life, a very self-focused life. We will live, uh, the acts that, we, we, that show up in our lives will not be the great godly acts that God wants to have happen in our lives. Here's the last one on faith. Matthew 9, 29. This is Jesus who performing a healing, and he says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, let it be done to you. So faith and miracles, there's a great connection there. Well, let's talk about miracles. What's a miracle? I just pulled up a definition that I thought was helpful to us. A miracle is an event in the heart or the mind or the body or in nature in the world that would not have come about if God had not supernaturally intervened in the ordinary process of natural cause and event. So it's God's supernatural intervention, and it can happen in many places. God, we need God's supernatural intervention in our hearts. Our hearts love different things. But for our hearts to truly love God and, to, and to, for our hearts to beat for what his heart beats for, it's a miracle. God wants to do miracles in our mind. Sometimes our thinking is way off base from what God wants it to be. And he wants to change and renew our minds. It's a miracle. It could be a miracle in the body. Many people I know who have... have had miracles in the body. People have prayed and they've seen uh, something that isn't of the natural, something that is, is, wouldn't have happened just in, by natural means, happens in their, in their body or in nature, right? Sometimes things have happened in the world where it's like, wow, that's not the, here's the laws of nature and something else is happening here because of God. It's supernatural intervention in the ordinary processes 
of natural cause and effect. So I was thinking about some of the things that could be miracles that we may see in our lives. Um, here's an easy one to think of. Healing, a physical healing in someone's body. That's a miracle. Uh, that Again, I'm not just talking about you know, you, ha you were sick and there's a prescription drug that matches that and you take it and you get better. I'm talking about you are healed and God is supernaturally involved in that. No, I'm not saying God isn't involved with doctors. He's not involved with prescription drugs. And I'm not saying you should go to the doctor or you shouldn't do all the normal things. You should do those things. But what about supernatural healing? I believe I have, I've had uh, opportunities in my life to see people get healed. And uh, it's an amazing thing when God intervenes in that way. What other miracles might happen? How about opportunities and boldness in sharing our faith with other people? That's a miracle. You know, so many people in the, in the Bible went from cowards to courageous when it came to sharing their faith. And uh, I think of the Apostle Peter who would deny Jesus, that even knew Jesus three times and then later on uh, was willing, like all the rest of the disciples, was willing to give his life for the truth that Jesus had died and rose again. How about opportunities and boldness in discipling others to initiate with someone else and to, so that they could grow as a, in their, their following of Jesus? What about spiritual breakthroughs that are miracles? I think often some, like, often there are, are spiritual breakthroughs that happen in prayer or in even reading the Bible that you can't attribute that to the natural. I love telling this story of a man I met and he was actually a minister, but he had never come to f saving faith in Christ. So he was serving in a large church, and he would get up like I'm doing right now, and he would teach week after week, and he was in the biggest church in his town. And then one night, he realized he, was not, he, didn't, he had not given his life to Christ. It became clear to him, and he did that. And after he did that, his testimony was that he would get up to do this and words would be jumping off the page of Scripture and he had never had that experience before. He was experiencing a miracle. The intervention of God in prayer and in the Word. I think giving in faith and giving sacrificially can be part of a miracle. Especially when you give sacrificially and then you see God provide in your life. I think it's incredible when those things happen. Radical generosity and radical service in the world. When our heart doesn't beat that way and then God changes us and transforms us so that we suddenly, we, we are experienced even differently by others. I think of radical provision, supernatural provision. You don't have what you need and you don't have a pathway to get there and then God provides. Or supernatural promotion. Sometimes it's just that I think God uh, gives us opportunities that we would never have. He opens doors. Supernatural protection. Many people have told me stories of uh, just crying out to God in a moment of danger and how miraculously they were delivered. And then the one that I think is the, the one we should never, never, never forget when it comes to miracles, because I think it's maybe the greatest miracle of all, is the miracle of salvation. Someone in faith putting their trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for them. 
So these are all a list. I mean, this isn't the extensive list. It's just the ones I wrote down. The things where we want to see these in our lives, these miracles. And so we pray for these things. Last week I challenged you. I said, I want you to move the line in your life in faith. Like maybe, maybe you don't pray at all about things. You don't, I mean, you don't even, well, maybe you pray, but you don't even ask God for anything. I mean, you have a conversation with God, but you've never asked him. And he wants us to ask. He wants us to act in faith. So ask God for things. And if there's a line where you stop, like you say, well, I'll ask God for these things, but I would never ask God for this, then move the line. That was my challenge to you. Move the line. Begin to ask God for more in faith. Honor him by recognizing that he is a big God and that he can supernaturally intervene in your life. So I challenge you to move that line, to ask, and then to act. My mom always taught me, act in accordance to your prayers. So if you're praying for God to move in your life, then get involved in the process, right? So if, let's say I'm asking for God to soften up my friend's heart towards, towards Jesus. Well, then when I see him on the street, if I prayed that prayer, I would, I'm less likely to go, hey, how's it going, and walk by. I'm more likely to engage because I want to know. <laughs> I want to know if God is softening his heart. I want to know if something's happening. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to act along with what I've asked about. And so I challenged you to do that last week. And I, I, I don't know, maybe if you, have, if you have a story about asking more than you normally would ask and acting along with that, I'd love to hear it. I'd love for you to, to share that with me. Uh, one of my fun prayer journeys in the last little while uh, has been, um, we've got a, a number of Indian students who've moved to Moose Jaw, and I've gotten to know a number of them. That's been a great delight. And this week I had a number over at my house, and one of them had just got a job. It's a big deal for Indian students to not just get into a course at SAS Poly, but also to get a job in the community, because they often need that to be able to finance their education. And so one of my Indian friends, Shinob, he got a job. And so he was over at my place with a few other Indian students, and we were celebrating. I was like, when he walked in the door, I was like, Shinob got a job. Yes, because we've been praying for Shinob to get a job, as we've prayed for many Indian students to get jobs. And, uh, and then what, the job he got was, I thought, particularly fun, because he got a job with a landscaper. And do you know what landscapers do about this time of the year? They gear up to shovel driveways and sidewalks. And so here's a guy who his whole life, Shinob has grown up close to the equator. And he's never experienced snow before. And now he has a job in the Canadian winter of shoveling snow. I mean, he is going to be such a legend back in India. I mean, it's, it'd be like if we went to some, you know, tropical jungle and we lived there for a while and we came back. Everybody would want to hear our stories. Well, he's going to have the, those kind of stories when he goes back to India. He's going to be, yeah, man. It was, tell us how cold it was, Shinob. Oh, it was minus 20. Minus 20. How do people live there? It's crazy. Anyhow, it's going to be great. Anyhow, pray for Shinob. And if you can recommend the best winter jacket a person can get, you recommend that too. <laughs> but ask God and, and, and act on those things. In the book of Acts, there's a, there's a particular prayer 
The disciples are, it's, it's soon after Jesus' rather resurrection, and the disciples are just starting out to sharing, sharing about what, who Jesus is. Now they're, they're, you know, they're talking about Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He's the Son of God. He died and rose again. They're sharing this news. They've been, uh, Peter and John have been arrested once. They've been told, don't you speak about this Jesus again. And uh, they say, no. We're going to obey God rather than man. So they've, they're in this, you know, this a tense environment that they're in. And all the believers gather together, and they pray a prayer. And I won't read you the whole prayer, but just two verses out of it, and it just really struck me. It says in Acts 4, 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats. I don't know if, you, if you're, you're in a threatening environment where you live uh, or where you work or in your family, or whatever dynamic you're at. But this is what he, they said. Lord, consider the threats around us. Consider the threats in, in our environment. Considering the, the opposition that we're facing, how we've been threatened, that if we speak about you, we are going to jail, or worse. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Well, now that's a prayer, isn't it? That's an asking in faith. And uh, in Acts 5, we see that that prayer was answered. Acts 5, verse 12 said, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Their prayer was answered. And verse 14 says, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So there's, they asked for miracles. They asked for miracles and God answered their prayer. And it wasn't just for this, the, so you can experience a neat thing. It was so that people could come to know Jesus. And many were were added to their number. They came to believe in the Lord. So daring faith, the key to miracles, that's what this series is called. And um, I, I think it's neat, just some of the, um, I, was, I was preparing for this, this message last night. I was doing a little bit of extra work late at night, and my, my family was uh, watching Prince of Egypt, the movie. And Prince of Egypt has an amazing soundtrack, like, the, the songs in there are, are incredible. And so it was cool. I'm at the kitchen table, and they're in the living room, and I can't see the movie, but I can hear the soundtrack, all these incredible songs. As I'm preparing my sermon, I'm like, this sermon's going to be amazing, but it's mostly the soundtrack. Anyhow, I'm like, this, this is going to be great. And then I get to the very end, uh, or they get to the end of the movie, and I'm getting to the end of uh, my sermon preparation time. And uh, at the very end, this song comes on, and it's Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey, which is like, wow, can you have a more power-packed duo? And they sing, there can be miracles if you believe. <laughs> I was like, hey, that's pretty much the sermon title for tomorrow. <laughs> Daring faith, the key to miracles. How do you get yourself ready for a miracle? Can you get yourself ready for a miracle? We're going to look at a, a story. We're going to look at um, one, of Jesus, one of the most famous miracles, may, maybe the most famous miracle. I would say it might be the most famous one because it's the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels. So the Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life. There's one written by Matthew, one by Mark, and Luke and John. 
And all four of them have this same miracle story in it. Uh, and it's the only one, I think, in the, in the, as far as I understand, that's in all four of those accounts. Now, so it seems like it's pretty significant. So some people would say it's the most famous miracle of, of Jesus, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. How he took one little boy's lunch and was able to feed 5,000. So it's a story about how God can take a little and turn it into a lot. Many times in your life, you're going to need God to turn a little into a lot. I mean, maybe you've only got a little energy. Maybe you've only got a little talent. Maybe you've only got a little opportunity. Maybe you've only got a little connection or relationships with others. Maybe you've only got a little bit of money. Maybe you've only got a little bit of time. And you need God to turn it into a lot. You need a miracle. Luke 16.10 says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. I've wondered sometimes, I've asked God this question too, how much can you trust me with? How much can you trust me with? I mean, if he gives me more of all those things, energy, time, money, opportunity, relationships, if you give me more, can you trust me that I'll use it for your purposes? Or am I more than likely just to use it for me? See, God can take our little and he can turn it into a lot. But there's that question of trust. There's a question of, are we good stewards with what he gives us? Are we looking to use what he gives us to advance his agenda, his kingdom, his work in the world. I've, I've experienced some miracles of provision in my life along the way. Some of them are small and some of them are medium-sized, but I've experienced the miracles of provision. And it's interesting to me, the times when I experience those miracles of provision are, most, are usually tied to when I'm acting in faith when I have a sense of what God wants me to do, how God wants me to grow, how God wants me to sow, and how God wants me to go, those kind of things. When God has made it more clear to me that I'm supposed to do something that seems very unlikely to be able to be accomplished without Him, that's when I'm most, those are the times when I've most often experienced uh, miracles of provision in my life. He's turned a little into a lot. And I think part of it is because my heart's been in the right place in those seasons. There's been other seasons where I'm very focused on myself. And I haven't seen a lot of miracles in those seasons. Because I'm more focused on me than I am on him. But as I focus on him and his agenda, and as I begin to ask him, Lord, use me in your kingdom... I get sense of direction, and I get also a sense that he's, he's making it happen. He's providing. So, let me read you the scripture of this miracle. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
So he began teaching them many things. Now, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. So they're out in the middle of the Judean desert, and he's teaching about 500 people. 5,000 people, well, it says 5,000 men were fed, so it's probably much more with women and children. It's probably a bigger crowd than 5,000. And uh, it's, it's, he's been teaching all day, and it's the end of the day, and, you know, there's no McDonald's, right? There's no Domino pizza. It's, uh, there's no fast food. I mean, back then it was all slow food. You had to make it quickly, you know, had to make it from scratch, right? And the disciples come and say, Lord, these people are hungry, And he shocks them by saying, you feed them. You feed them. And they said to him, that would take much more. That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give give it to them to eat? So when they say more than half a year's wages, I mean, uh, I can hear that. Sometimes my wife and I'll have these conversations about money, and, you know, I always get hyperbolic, right? You know, I sort of, well, that's going to cost so much, you know. I think I'm the cheap, I'm the cheap one, right? Honey, is that right? Oh, she's nodding, yes. <laughs> she's here to keep me, all my stories fact-checked, so it's good. But sometimes I, I find that in me. I, you know, I can sort of get, you know, worrying, and inside of me I'm like, oh, that's so expensive. I can't believe, oh, you know, I can't believe, you know, whatever. You went to winners again? Anyhow, you know those kind of moments. And um, that's what I hear in these guys. That would take more than a half a year's wages. That's sort of like when you say something like that, it sort of becomes the trump card that there's no way we should be feeding them. It's half a year's wages. Anybody who's going to come back at that and say, well, maybe we should spend that money. Oh, no one's going to say that, right? That's half a year's wages. In other words, they're saying... It's impossible. It's, it's physically, practically, humanly impossible for us 12 to feed this crowd. So here's the first step in preparing for a miracle. And that's to admit you have an unsolvable problem. Admit you have an unsolvable problem. So let me just be straight. If you have a problem that's solvable, then you should just go solve it. I mean, you can pray about those things too. I think that's good. In fact, I know some people who I admire quite a bit, they pray about everything. Like they're in a constant conversation with God. It's sort of like they pray without ceasing. One of my friends, she prays for parking spaces when she goes to the mall. Lord, give me a good parking space. She's just in a constant conversation about every need in her life. Now, a parking space is not an unsolvable problem. You can park far and you can walk and that's maybe healthy for you. But if you have a solvable problem, you can just solve it. But if you have an unsolvable problem, I mean, you can't solve it on your own. You need a miracle. So the first step is to admit that you have an unsolvable problem. When they say, that would take eight months of a man's wages, you know, I think that's what they're trying to say. So there's three typical responses when you have an unsolvable problem in your life. 
We tend to procrastinate, we tend to pass the buck, and we tend to worry. So first, procrastinate. When we have a problem we can't solve, we just keep putting it off. We know we need to solve it, we know, we know but we just keep putting it off. We delay, or we pretend it doesn't exist. You ever do that? I've done that many times. I don't want to face that problem, so I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist. And then eventually, the problem gets closer and bigger and more dire, and you're like, oh, why did I put this off? The phrase in this, in this passage says, by this time, it was late in the day. So they would put this problem off all day. They had all day to figure out how to feed 5,000 people. They had all day to figure out, but they hadn't done anything. And you know this in your life. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Procrastination just makes problems worse. If you got a sickness or you got something going wrong in your body, you should deal with it now, not tomorrow, not next week. Procrastination doesn't solve it. It just makes it worse. And if you have a problem that's there and you're pretending it's not a problem, that also usually leads to it getting worse. So maybe now is a good time to just check in with yourself and ask the question, what problem are you pretending isn't there? Is there a problem in your relationships that you're pretending isn't there? In your family, in your friends, in your marriage? In a, with a coworker, with a classmate? What problem are you pretending isn't there? Maybe it's physical. What problem are you pretending isn't in your body? What problem are you pretending isn't in your finances? Maybe there's a problem that you're pretending isn't there in your heart. See, we procrastinate. The second thing is we, we, we pass the buck. What we do is we blame other people. It's not really my problem. It's her problem or it's his problem. It's their fault. You know how you spell the word blame? Be lame. When you're blaming others, you're being lame. So the disciples said, well, send the people away. What are they doing? Those people, they came uninvited. And we didn't invite them out here. We didn't ask them to come and eat. We didn't promise them food. We didn't invite them to hear Jesus teach. Let's just send them away. It's their fault. Let them find their own food. It's not our problem. When I hear that, I think, I can relate to that. I probably feel the same way. Here's the last one. The third thing we do is we worry. We fret, we stew, we get anxious, we get stressed out. I mean, it's going to take half a year's wages to pay for this food, so the disciples' anxiety goes into overdrive. You know, I could just imagine, you know, some of these guys doing the cost analysis on this. If this was done today, uh, there'd be lots of questions. How are we going to get all, import that much food? How are we going to keep it hot? How are we going to distribute it? How are we going to clean up? Who are, do, we, do we need a health permit? What about liability insurance? Their minds are going into overdrive. And we do too. We worry and worry and worry. And I love what Jesus says. He looks at the 12 guys and he says, you feed them. And they're procrastinating. 
and they're passing the buck, and they're worrying. And all the time, they're standing next to Jesus. So that's the problem in the picture. The guy who can easily turn stones into bread if he wants is right there. He's the one who can feed everybody instantly if he wanted to. They're standing in the presence of the Son of God, and they're saying, what's going on here? And they're all in, a, in knots over the thing. And then Jesus says, you feed them. And they say, Lord, that's practically impossible. That's financially impossible. It's humanly impossible. So has God ever asked you to do something impossible? I think he likes doing that. I think God loves to ask you to do something impossible where you know you can't do it on your own. And so we often respond back to God and say, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the energy, I don't have the education. You've got the wrong guy. This is not special to us. In the Bible, there's lots of guys like that. Moses was asked to lead the people out of Israel, and he said, no, 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 pick somebody else. I'm terrible at talking in public. Jeremiah was asked to do something for God, and he was like, oh, no, no, why me? Don't pick me. One guy who did it really well was Isaiah. He was asked, and he said, Lord, use me. Here am I. Send me. So God may say in your life that he wants you to do something that's impossible. I mean, impossible without him. And without faith, our response is going to be, no, this can't be done, or I can't do it. But with faith, if we're operating in faith, then God's commands to do things that are impossible can be met with a, Lord, I don't know how this can be done, but use me. Use me. You're the God who can do the impossible. I, I remember, I've shared this story. I won't share the whole story with you, but I was staying at an Airbnb and ended up, many have heard this story before, ended up with a lady whose laptop had, wasn't working. And I tried to solve it with everything I knew. I had the exact same laptop and the same model and tried to get it going again. Couldn't get it charging. It wasn't working. And then... One day, I asked her about, so I was seeing her day after day as I was going in, to and fro from this Airbnb, and then one day I walked by her and, and asked her about her laptop, no, it's not working, and I took a couple steps and the Lord just, again, it wasn't an audible voice, but I just sort of like this sense in my mind, since the Lord just saying, pray for her laptop. I was like, that's not how laptops work. So I went back and I said, Cynthia, can I pray for your laptop? And she was okay with it. And I was like, okay. And I remember in that moment just thinking, if God wants me to pray for your laptop, maybe. And there's a kernel of faith, just a little bit in me. Maybe I should make sure I don't do anything to make it fuzzy about whether this is a miracle or not. So I remember just touching the very corner of the, not touching the trackpad or the, or the keyboard, but touching the corner of the laptop and just praying sincerely for her laptop. Funny when I said it, because I remember like almost 
like I said, prayed for, I prayed for it to be healed, which is funny because can laptops be healed? They get repaired, right? So I felt sort of funny that I said it that way. But anyhow, anyhow, when I got to the end of the prayer and said, in the name of Jesus, amen, her laptop came back to life. Now, when I tell you regularly, I don't, I don't always pray for my laptop when mine isn't working. I usually ask somebody who's like 20 years younger than me to help me. But sometimes God will ask you to do something that's just out of the ordinary, requires great faith, or even just a little faith, actually. That's the funny thing about Cynthia. She wasn't a Christian, but she was a very spiritual person, and she turned to me and she said, you have great faith, or you know, you know, something like that. Basically, that was what she said. And I said, no, I knew that wasn't totally true. I know there's lots of times where I don't have faith and I don't act in faith. And I said, I have a little bit of faith, but I have it in the right person. It's, I have faith in Jesus, and he's the only one I ever ask to do these kind of things. And he did this because he loves you and he loves me, and, you know, I had a chance to share with him. But has God ever asked you to do something impossible? Why does he do that? Well, he wants to stretch your faith. How do the muscles of faith get stronger? You've got to put a load on them. You've got to exercise them. You've got to walk in it. So God asks you to do something that's physically impossible, financially impossible, impossible in any other way. He wants to strengthen your faith. So the first thing is, I have to admit that the problem I'm facing now is unsolvable without God. Here's the second principle. I need to give God what little I already have. So Jesus, he talks to the disciples and he says, I want you to do a little bit of reconnaissance. I want you to go out there and find out if anybody brought lunch today. So verse 38 in Mark chapter 6 says, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So how many loaves do you have? So one little boy has a lunch. His mom put three little barley loaves and two little fish in his lunch. Now, do you think 5,000 people are out in the desert listening to Jesus and nobody else brought food? Don't you think there's somebody else who's got, you know, something tucked away? But when the disciples came by and said, yeah, we're trying to feed this crowd, would you like to give up your lunch? Probably people are going, uh-uh, that's impossible. Or if you split my lunch 5,000 ways, I'd get nothing. It's only this little boy who responds. He gets to be the hero of the story in some ways in the end because he offers up willingly what he's got. He gives God the little that he has. Now, Jesus, it's funny, why did he say find out how many lunches are out there. How many, how many loaves are out there? Did Jesus need any amount of loaves in order to do the miracle? I don't think so. I think he could just have said bread for everybody and it would have happened. I mean, we're talking about the same God that provided manna in the wilderness for the Israelites. So what's he doing here? I think God wants to involve us in miracles. And so that's, I think, why God starts with what we have. 
you might not have much, but it might not. But if you give it to God, we see what He can do. Say, I don't have much time. I don't have much finances. My talent isn't very much. But if you give that to God, if you give everything in your life, give Him your reputation, give Him your heart, your soul, your past, your present, your future. It might not be much, but I'm going to give you my five little loaves and my two little fish. So God starts with what I have. In the account in John, John 6, 6 tells us another detail of the story that, uh, that isn't in this account in Mark. And John says that Jesus asks this, how many loaves do we have out there, basically, to test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus is not sweating. When God asks you to do the impossible, God is not sweating. He already has in mind what he's going to do. He's seen the need long before we did. And he has the answer before we even know there's a problem. So he sees the problem. He knew it was coming. He's got a solution for your problem. So why are we worrying? So, admit you have an unsolvable problem, give God the little you have, and then put it all in the hands of Jesus. In John's account, we find out that it's the disciple Andrew who finds this one little boy. And he gives it. And... Again, it's just conjecture in my mind. I think maybe that other people might have had food too that they didn't give. But the Bible says in verse uh, 39 to 41, it says, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So God will use whatever I give him. Whatever it is, he'll use it. So he... He put it all in the hands of Jesus. And here's the fourth thing I'm going to say about preparing for a miracle. Is expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. When you give God whatever you have, when you put it in the hands of Jesus, then expect God to multiply it. Here's verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied, and disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. See, Jesus, he broke it and he blessed it, and then he passed it out, and it turned into enough food for everyone with 12 baskets left over. This is neat. I don't know what they did with the 12 baskets of, of bread and fish that's left over. Did the, did the boy take home the 12 baskets? Was that sort of how it worked? <laughs> Imagine him coming home to his mom. Where did you get that food, Jacob? Uh, Jesus multiplied it, and I, you go to your room. You don't come out till your father comes home. I'm going to tell your father. <laughs> but mom, but mom. No, wait till your father gets home. I can just imagine. <laughs> I don't know. Just fun. I don't know who ends up with the bread. Whether the disciples do or... But he gave a little and then in the end they ended up with so much more. 
I think there are many, there's several, I'd say, in this room who have a testimony like this. You offered something to God. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was money. I don't know if it was time or just your availability to him. And he did so much more with that than you could have imagined. He did so much more. In fact, some of you can go back to a time in your life where God used you in a miracle and you still shake your head about it. You can't even believe it that God has used you in that way. I find for myself, when I'm thinking about acting in daring faith, and I have been working my way through different... I've been trying to set some different goals through this for this series for myself personally. Um, some of them are um, in discipleship. Some of them are financial. Some of them are um, just even in prayer and the Word. Just areas where I want to grow and grow, sow, and go, right? I want to do those things. But it's, it's, it's in those times where we offer him what, what little we have and ask him to make it into more that we often experience some of the greatest experiences in our lives. Because often when we give, we get back more. I'm not talking about some gimmick where you can make yourself rich by give this money to God and then he'll give you money back. I'm not into that. I don't think that's something that we'll ever tell you here at Hillcrest. That that's, you know, this is a way to make... Because this is not about serving yourself. This is about being used by God. Because I think the point of this, this lesson is God likes to do miracles through people. I mean, sometimes we're waiting for God to do stuff for us, but God is wanting to do stuff through us. And I mean, it's really neat when God will, if God's providing something for you that you're asking for, and I would pray for those things all the time. That's really good. But it's also really neat when you ask God to use you in his purposes and you experience what he can do. He wants to do a miracle through you might be a miracle that impacts someone's heart or their mind or their body. But he wants to do a miracle through us. He wants to use us in so many different ways. You know, this week I was just, uh, just blessed by this church. People jumping in in different ways, three different interactions couple caught me after the service last week and said, you know, we've been here a long time and we really feel we need to become members of this church. Just to clarify that commitment even in a stronger way. I was like, that's awesome. I was doing one of the two funerals I did last week. I was sharing the gospel and trying my absolute best to be clear and to try to get it out um, and to explain the love of the Father to the audience that was there at the funeral. And then a woman from our church came up afterwards and she said, while you were sharing the gospel, I was praying for everyone in the room that their hearts would be receptive. And I was like, thank you for that partnership. I was so excited. I was chatting with a man who'd been coming here for over, around a year or more, and he said, I love that this church centers around the gospel. No matter what we're talking about, we, coming, we keep coming back to the gospel. I thought, oh, that's incredible encouragement. 
Here's the thing. This isn't just a solo journey. This isn't just a soul, soul journey. If you're going to take a step of daring faith, you should be taking it along with other people. Other people should know about it. Other people should be in your corner and praying for you and believing for it and, and standing with you. I mean, that's when it gets really potent because it's not just that you experience something, but you experience something that other people are partnered with in doing. And so... Many of you are in small groups, and so as you're, you're, you're gathering together in small groups, you're talking about daring faith. You're talking about anticipating that God can use you. You're talking about your expectations and your desires for God to use you. The Bible says in the Old Testament, is anything too hard for the Lord? And of course, the obvious answer is no. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. You know, the ultimate evidence of that is this. When Jesus died, when he was crucified, when he was entombed, the power of God raised him from the dead. The power of God raised him from the dead. And if that same power is at work in our lives, is anything impossible for God? If God can do that, if he can raise a body from the dead, then what else can he raise? Because he, Can he raise a marriage from the dead? Can he raise a dry spiritual life into new vitality? Can he resurrect a career? Can he move dramatically to bring life to whatever dynamic is in your life that there seems to be a deadness to it? And it, There's nothing impossible for him. So last week I asked you, I said, move the line. If there's something you haven't prayed for, because you just sort of stop at that point. And the reason you stop there is it's a faith thing. Because faith asks. Faith believes in a big God. And even when we see big problems or big circumstances in our lives, we believe that God is bigger still. Even if we tremble in asking that, even if it's difficult for us, even if it's like it, it feels almost painful to ask, God is pleased by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's pleased by that faith. Even if it's the tiniest little faith, the fact that that faith is directed towards the right person, to our Lord Jesus Christ, that's, it pleases him. And he's a good father. He loves to bring good gifts into the lives of his children. He loves to empower us to do things that we could never do on our own. He's the author of our faith. I mean, he started you on this road of faith. And he's the perfecter. Meaning he's got a lot of things he wants to develop still in our walk with him. 
And he's going to be with us the whole stretch of the way. So why not ask? Why not expect? Why not attempt? Why not believe? Is anything impossible for God? Would you stand with me? Lord, I, I ask that you would, that any roadblock inside of us when it comes to believing would be removed. Lord, I think of that man in the New Testament who had an encounter with Jesus, and he said, I, be- I believe, help my unbelief. He just was so honest, so real about the level of faith that was in his life. Yet it wasn't that he had no faith. There was some faith there that honored you. So God, so many of us are saying that very same thing. God, I do believe. But I struggle with unbelief. And so Lord, I thank you that you don't. You don't cast aside those who have little faith. You don't cast aside those who Um, struggle in this area. In fact, in the New Testament, the disciples taught each other to have grace and be patient with those who doubt. And so, Lord, you are loving and patient with us even when we doubt. But, Lord, you you want us to to trust in your greatness. We want you to trust in your your strong right arm. We want you to trust, uh, you want us to trust in who you are and what you can do in our lives. And, you, and it pleases you when we do. And God, we just, bottom line, want to please you. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to trust, to believe, to ask for greater things, to act in more daring ways, and to expect that you want to use us to see things happen that could not have happened on our own. So we look to you. You're the best leader we could have. You're the one who has drawn us into this life of faith, and you're the one who wants to strengthen it as we walk with you forward. So Lord, help us not to shrink back but to say, here I am, send me. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Prisons that we could escape.